I'm delighted to welcome today Dr. Sarah Mottram, who is an expert in movement. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Elaine. It's good to be here. So movement is something that we all need to do. And progressively, the world we live in society with all the working from home and sitting in front of computers, et cetera, et cetera, is not conducive to movement. So help. What do we do? How do we cope? Yes, well, that's a really interesting point. And um, as you say, we all seem to be moving less and less. And we've actually got to put movement into our day now, I think, more and more. Um, what my particular interest is, is people that have pain because they tend to move less. Mm -hmm. And then when they move less, it, it sort of <clears throat> um, they, they lose that sort of efficiency in how they move. And then we get this sort of cycle um, of pain and loss of movement. So we want to get people moving, but sometimes they can't because they're in pain. I, I have um, a, a situation. I've got a twisted and a curved spine and the times I've tried to do yoga and, and different things like that. And I just, I just can't manage it. I've, I've been to so many different classes where I'm the one sitting on the seat doing the best I can. Um, and I, I, I physically can't move. So how, how do people cope? I'm not, not in pain as such. I've got that all under control, but. Um, in terms of the physical, you know, I mean, I can't sit and I can't cross my legs. I physically cannot cross my legs at the moment anyway. But maybe if I were to use my muscles more, I would be able to. Mm. But, um, so, so, so where do people start? Somebody who, say, is, is in pain or is aging and feels that their, their joints, their muscles aren't as pliable as they used to be. Where, where should they start? They're just starting on this journey today. Well, I think it's sort of understanding what your limitations are, really. And what we know is that with age, with pain, with pathology, um, I think also our emotions and habits and history, they all influence how we move. So it's really sort of getting an understanding of what is limiting our movement and how we can make some changes so that we're better able to move. So it could be sort of with you that there are some restrictions just by the nature of um, how your spine is that will restrict movement, but that doesn't mean you can't do other things. And it's just sort of taking a, a note of where you are and what might be contributing to your changes in how you move. I think also some people tend to hide behind, oh, I can't do this because of that. I can't do that because of such and such. Um, people tend to be rather lazy by default we're human beings and we're all all fallible um but what, what about people who are working all day um well whether it's home or whether it's um in, in going to an office what are the some of the simple things maybe that they could introduce into their day well i think it's keep moving and you set yourself um you know a time when you're going to be at your desk whether it's 20 minutes or 40 minutes or 50 minutes and after that time take a short break. And that break can be in your chair, but you're just moving out of those positions. It's really the static nature of sitting that's the problem. Um, so if we can just keep changing positions and make sure that we're taking short breaks and moving away and maybe changing our, our work setup. So sometimes we're sitting, sometimes we're standing. And it's that change of position, which is really so important for us all mm. during the long work days. Changing position is important. I'm, I've I've got a chair that started to squeak. <laughs> um, so I'm now looking at what can I do to, to move things and change things about. But 
Um, I went through a phase of standing up. Um, I didn't have a desk. I was living in a, a situation where I had boxes and boxes. So I put my computer on top of all the boxes and I could only find one plug where I was staying. So I was in a corridor and, and actually that was a really good time for me um, health wise because I was standing up working and I was moving myself about. So these, um, um, what do you call them, moving desks now, you have all kinds of tools and resources for us to help us, you know, the, the up and the down the desk, the different types of chairs and so on. Um, I've got a rowing machine next to me here in my office. So every now and then I'll, I'll fiddle about on there. I'll go in the garden or whatever. Um, but when you're in a pressured environment in the work and you're not at your desk, the, the general judgment is that you're not working. So um, I know you do some work with, um, well, I believe you do some work with, with corporates, helping people yeah. to, to, to deal. So, so how, how does a conversation go when you're, when you're dealing with um, a business, particularly maybe a larger business that's got lots of employees? Well, I think it's it's that, you know, understanding the day and it's, it's really fitting it in with a lot of the work that you do um, is, you know, understanding, you know, the nature of the stresses and what it is that's keeping people at that desk and, and you know, where are the blocks to moving, to changing, to understanding it. Because what we tend to think, isn't it, the longer we sit, you know, I'll get more done. But we know that by taking frequent breaks, we can actually increase our productivity. So it's really understanding and, and putting a lot of the principles that you put into, you know, a healthy, balanced life fits with our movement, too. I mean, our movement is one of those components that you talk about so much in your in your work. Yes. Yeah. How did you get to where you are now? Um Dr. Sarah, because you weren't always Dr. Sarah, were you? So what did you do before? Yeah, so um, I'm a physiotherapist. I trained her many years ago. And about 30 years ago, I, I got very interested in using movement to help people out of pain. So before that, I had I'd trained very much in manual therapy. So using a lot of hands-on techniques for people to help them out of back pain and neck pain. And although they, what I found really was that tended to give a lot of sort of short-term relief although there's a lot of benefit from it but what I wanted to really understand was how we can get people to move better for the long term so their pain doesn't keep recurring because one of the problems with back pain and neck pain is its recurrence yeah we just can't seem to sort of get a handle on not it not coming back so I sort of developed a career really studying that and um, I ended up um, teaching that subject really for 25 years all, all around the world and in that time um, when I first started there was very little research really to back up um, that process of looking at movement and really identifying what what each individual needs because it, it, it we can be much more specific if we, we tailor um, specific movements to an individual so that was my work really looking at how we can uh, um, identify problems in each person and help them overcome um, the changes in how they move. Because as I said, we change how, our move, uh, how we move with habits, with age, with what we do, with trauma, with emotions, um, with um, injury. So we, we make all these, we, we change over time. And then what, what we can do with this system um, that I developed some colleagues is we can identify what people have lost and then help them restore it and put it back into everyday life. And 
I did uh, a lot of work on that in research over many years. And then um, a couple of years ago, I wrote all that up into a PhD and uh, was awarded a PhD really for my life, my life's work, um, but specifically on several papers that I wrote on the subject. Brilliant, brilliant. So there is science behind um and, and I'd be interested to read some of your papers actually I'm mm. starting to get into more of the science behind things because there's so much stuff on the internet that is a load of tosh quite frankly and you, you you read an article it says oh do this you read another article it says no 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 don't do this do that and so on and so forth it's always good to know straight from the horses as it were what yeah and I think that's doing. a really good point you make I mean I think there's probably not a bad exercise but what we've got to do is match um movement training to a particular individual because you know some people sit a lot some people stand a lot some people have broken their legs some people have broken their arm so there isn't a sort of magic answer and actually in the research you know they're struggling to find you know the best exercise for shoulder pain and we we know that um exercise helps back pain but again they haven't really come up with you know well, what works because people need different things so a lot of the work that I've done is, is, is trying to identify what changes have happened in an individual um, and then retrain it. And the work that I'm doing now, I, I, I've, I've sort of moved away from the teaching side, um, working more in a program to help people understand their movement, all the contributing factors, which can be you know, history, it can be habits, and also the emotional side. What triggers are there and um barriers really to helping us move well and, and often it's it's things that have just evolved um like you know a bad experiences of you know knowing that you've got a problem you go and see somebody and they say well I don't really know and there's nothing really wrong and you're like well hang on it hurts but it's it's and then that can be very sort of detrimental to progress forward because you're worried you don't really know what what's happening so it's really getting people to understand why they're not moving well and what they can do about it. Mm. It's interesting you mentioned the emotion side of things because um, we, we know that emotions trigger all kinds of health issues, um, mm. including um, you know, formal diagnosis and, and uh, pain. Um, I was reading recently, um, we're always, I'm always learning, there's so much to learn out there, it really is, it's fascinating about the body. I learned recently that um, shoulder pain uh, with the right shoulder is to do it can be to do with liver liver problems so that's mm. a, that's a um a health and well-being thing that people can take note of and, and clean the liver up so many of us have mm. um uh, abuse our livers un unbeknownst um, because of all the hidden sugars and the different things that are in um the foods today but um it's, it's finding out where the pain comes from isn't it as you say is mm. it emotional pain is it some kind mm. of you know physical injury is it um years ago i was um i used to go to a chiropractor all, all my life I've pretty much i've had um chiropractic care for my back and i remember that them telling me that it's physical emotional or chemical trauma to the body causes injury and and obviously the spine is um uh you know the, the middle of the body and, and effects but other parts sometimes you go to a, a, a doctor you know, they, they bash your knee, you know, see what your reflexes are like. Um, but it's knowing, tracing about where the pain is coming from, isn't it? So I guess you have mm. conversations with people about this. 
to get yes, to I, I mean, I think what, what you're saying there, you know, we need a really holistic approach for to, to help people manage back pain because what we know is back pain is prevalent as ever, and so is neck pain. So whatever the treatments are, they're not really working to change the epidemiology of, of back pain. So I think we, moving forward, there's sort of more evidence now to show that we've got to have a much more um, sort of holistic and whole person, whole body-centered care. And, and looking at, I think, the relationship between different elements. So what are the links between you know, an emotional element and 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 pain, and then we can address those. So I think it comes down to, as you say, understanding the individual. Because when we understand the individual, we can point them in the right direction of changes that need to be made. Mm-hmm. And we know that we can make these changes, um, but we can only make them in a in an effective way when we understand each individual. Mm, absolutely. And the individual understands themselves as well, which quite often people go through their whole life not really understanding themselves. Yeah. And I think pain is very frightening and it becomes more frightening, doesn't it? When it interferes with our life, you know, if it's threatening our work and it's influencing our um, our social life um, and our relationships, it, it becomes very frightening. And that kind of perpetuates the problem because what we know is fear and pain, you know, they can gang, gang up on us a bit. And if we can start to understand the connections between these different elements, we can do something about it. And there is, you know, a, a good body of research now to show that this sort of connected and holistic uh, view of back pain is is the way forward, rather than just thinking it's a structure in the back and we need to sort of, you know, deal with that. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, um, as you know, the medical model. Um, is sort of chasing one structure, okay? Uh, You know, MRIs, you know, they are useful for, you know, identifying a, you know, a disorder that's something we need to do something about, but for generalized back pain, they're not terribly helpful because there's really very little relationship. Well, in fact, there's no relationship between MRI findings and and back pain. Mm, I learned recently that the actual position of being in an MRI isn't conducive to finding anything to do with the back because Mm -hmm. the the physicality of where how you lay how you position yeah. so in the mri but then so many people have an mri and then when they're told oh you know either this or that but there's nothing we can do about it that just sits in people's minds and they worry about it so it's, i think it's you know the more i sort of understand this and i understand individuals it's sort of not their fault that they've got these thoughts because we've sort of almost kind of given them, you know, we've done all these tests and well, there's nothing wrong. Or we've done these tests and this is how it is. And they're left with this sort of diagnosis and no solution, or you'll have to live with it or take these painkillers. And there's no need for that because if we can help people to move better, um, we can help them with their pain. That's very clear. And to move better, we need to be thinking about all the factors that contribute to our change in movement. Mm, absolutely um I've got a, a little story about um, what happened to my neighbor recently her cat went missing and um lots and lots of stress around that and um it was a house cat that's never been out before and we live in a rural part of the Algarve in Portugal so um obviously concerned about what's happening with the cat not knowing how to fend for itself etc Anyway, a um, few days went by and then she came over to me in a terrible, terrible state. She had found the cat dead in the house 
so it hadn't gone away. Um, it was an awful accident. So she asked me to help, um, which of course I did. We, we dealt with that. And then the next day she couldn't move her arm. She came over to me and she, her arm was in a sling. The pain was horrendous. She couldn't sleep you know, and so on and so forth. And it was a shock. It was a trauma of yeah. finding the cat and knowing that, you know, about this accident, et cetera. So that's the clearest example I've seen close at hand of how emotional stress affects the, the, the body. And it was, um, it, it took a good few days for her to, she, she knew straight away, she's a first responder, so she understands and she, she sees things all the time with the humans, but because this was an animal and she contributed to the, to the, uh, the finding, um, the, the accident, she was, was absolutely mortified. Mm. So that's, um, as I said, it's the first time I've seen it close up and personal on how emotions can affect the body physically. But of course, the mind affects as well when people talk themselves into to pain. Mm. Um, there's one of the um, uh, members of our Friday Health Club. She's a nurse and she often retells the, the situation when she works in recovery in a particular type of surgery recovery. And all of her colleagues say to the patient when they're coming around, are you in pain? Where is your pain? So it's kind of putting pain onto them. Her approach is, um, are you comfortable? Um, how can I make you comfortable? That's nothing about pain because she said, when you tell people they've got, you know, where is the pain? They, they'll find it and it may not even be there. So the emotional and the mental side of um, um, pain and, and movement is just so understated. We never talked about it. So so we've got the um, moving about, um, standing up, um, you know, I, I think what I'm hearing is the general awareness. So it's being aware of the need to move. Um, are there any reminders that we can give ourselves? Any other kind of little tips that we can, we can uh, wake ourselves up to day to day? Well, I think it's being more, as you say, being aware. And from that awareness, we can be more active because what happens is when we sit, we tend to be very passive. And, but we can still sit in a sort of more active kind of, you know, more, um, so we start using our muscles more when we're sitting. So we don't just sit passively. Um, I was talking to some, um, some of my clients today and we were talking about, you know, people that have to sit a lot in the car. It can, you know, you, you can be very passive in the car and sort of just kind of sink into that kind of C shape. Or you can be more aware and more open in your spine and, and your ribs and, and breathe better and, and get better sort of connections between your body segments, which just makes it easier. You can breathe better. You can you can move better rather than this sort of passive sort of sinking into a, um, a chair or into a driving seat. I think driving is, you know, one of the things we sort of get into the car and just <laughs> get absorbed by the shape. Um, years ago, uh, I remember hearing about busmen's stomach, uh, bus drivers having problems with their stomach because they weren't moving. They mm. were eating their lunch on the go. They, they, they were just, you know, particularly the, the old London buses the double deckers where you had to climb up into it and it was too much of an effort to get out so once they were in they were in their whole shift and they would be there for hours on end um not not being terribly um active at all and uh, there was a condition called busman's stomach where um it was quite uh you know bad digestion and, and so on and so forth um so yeah, all industry sectors i suppose have 
setbacks, but it's about being aware of what the things yeah, are. Yeah, so um, what we were talking about this morning was when when you're when sitting in the car, you know, if you're just a bit more aware about how you're sort of stacked up, you're you're better able to use your diaphragm to breathe. You can you can get more more air, and and you know the sort of comment was I just feel less tired, I feel more connected, and it's it's not just about pain, is it? It's about being because if you feel better, you're likely to move more, and it it's sort of self perpetuating because you're not just slumped thinking oh it hurts and and I think the more we move the more awareness we get in our in our brain and then we can start feeling things and it's 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 being aware of the movement gives us more movement when we stop moving we've got no reference point because movement really is all about um processing a lot of the input that we get from from moving and and from from touch and feel and when we don't get that because we're not moving our brain hasn't really got enough to go on mm. and so then the posture then... yeah you know this slumping you were saying so I just found myself so I'm I'm talking to you now my arms are on my desk and I'm leaning forward and then I was as you were talking I was thinking oh goodness me my posture is not very good here at all well it's okay to do all of these things so there's not really you know there's never a really bad posture you know if you want to sit like that for a couple of minutes that's absolutely fine the problem is when we do the same thing all the time, that's when things start to go wrong because then we change the patterns of how we move and then we start using things, some things more often than not. And that's when we can start, you know, provoking some pain in our tissues, etc. So I think, you know, there's no ideal posture and we don't want to ever maintain one shape. What we want to be able to do is to move well and there's this term that we use quite a bit in the work we do, which is having choices. If we have lots of choices in how we move, then that's good. And what happens with habits, with sitting, is we lose those choices. And then there's that, then there's that relationship between losing those choices and having pain. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going back to your scoliosis, it just may be that you just have lost some of those choices. But as long as you keep the others, in, you know, and you've got lots of other choices, you know that that's not a problem you know we're all probably there's no not going to be anybody that's got sort of you know absolutely perfect movement but we want to keep as many choices as we've got and when we get pain we start losing those choices and then we just get into that cycle we're not moving well it hurts so we don't move our awareness goes down it hurts even more that affects our emotions how we're feeling what we're doing and you know you can see it just sort of gets into a cycle yeah, absolutely. I recently, uh, my my back situation doesn't cause me any problems. I I, I manage my my pain side of things. I don't get pain very often because because I manage it. Um, but equally, it doesn't stop me either. I've just shoveled eight tons of uh, stone in the garden. I've hand weeded everywhere, put a giant tarpaulin down, and and had eight ton of um, white small white stone. So I'm making it easy for me to manage with pots that I'm growing my own veggies and so on and so forth. So it doesn't stop me doing anything. But it's like you said, you know, being aware, then you can manage yeah. manage things. It's uh, when people go ahead and do do daft things, which I have done in the past. I've been hospitalised um, as a result of doing daft things and not being mindfully aware of my movement. Yeah, very. So I think. You know, just from your work and, and understanding your work a bit, you, you you do a lot of work, don't you, on, on understanding, because once you understand, you can make choices and you can yes. change things. And it's amazing how people don't really understand 
how their body moves and how things have changed and how that influences pain and how pain influences their movement. And once you start understanding that, and that's what you know, I, I help people really do is to find those changes. They can make, they can build that awareness and then move away from it. So it's really a lot of education, really, and, and being aware and feeling it and, and making the changes. And at the beginning, it can be really hard for people because they, and that's why sometimes this sort of generic thing of, well, just do this, it'll work. As you say, you know, on the internet, you find do this. Because a lot of people, they just can't access that new, that sort of old way of moving. It's sort of lost. But we get it back and then then they start moving and then it self-perpetuates and things just get better and better. So I think it's a lot of it is education. So m all my work is online now. And I don't have the need to see people face to well I am seeing the face to face because clearly we're on we're online but I think it works so well because people are owning their problem and they're understanding it and they go oh wow if I do that it doesn't hurt anymore mm. I'll do more of it but they they need help to find those things are, are there any publications or or any of your uh, publications that are available for people to access Sarah well they're mostly scientific so they're not sort of <laughs> they're not an easy read but um there's quite a bit on my website which is the movementworks.co.uk um there's a sort of about us section a bit about healthy movement so I call the sort of work I do is finding healthy movement and it's very clear from the research that people in pain change the way they move and the whole goal of the program that I work for is work with is to help people identify what changes they've made to their healthy movement and as we said earlier, the factors that contribute to, contribute towards it, because it could be something that they're not really being ever mindful of, you know, the way that they sit or how some emotion is just triggering a pattern um, and beliefs um, and understanding of what they've been told. So all those factors, you know, our goal is to get people to move well. And then we sort of go back and, and, and work out um, what factors um, contribute to that. And, you know, I have other people that work with me now who have got um, different specialities um, to help them find that and move forward. But it's all based on the individual because otherwise there's just, you know, everybody's different. It's just mm -hmm. too much. And I think that's the problem with the internet. There's nothing I do that's not out there, but it's just impossible to find um what matches you and I think that's you know that's the important bit absolutely so so do people have a, a course with you I mean presumably this isn't fixed in one one session it's a whole series of, of gradual yeah it's it's not fixed in one session so I do a course that's 12 weeks long okay and in that 12 weeks we can really sort of get to grips and you know people then they'll keep going after that 12 weeks um, and in that 12 weeks, um, we really start off by, you know, identifying what they need, what they've lost, what are the triggers, what's contributing to it. And we do it together. And I think that's the really fun thing is that it's very sort of interactive. It's not just do this. It's like, why are we doing it? It makes sense. Oh, well, I, I noticed this. I noticed that. And it's just building on that. Once we've identified the problem, we start piecing it together. Again, that can be a bit tricky to begin with because clearly we're doing things that people find having difficulty with and then once we get that done then the sort of magic happens and we start using it in everyday life and if we 
it's like anything, you know, learning practice acquired, you know, we've got to find it, we've got to practice it, and we've got to understand it. And as you know, in your work, you know, make the changes that we need to into our, our lifestyle and the contributing factors. And then we've got that for the long term. And again, that's another thing I'm really keen on. This is not a short term fix. It's not, you know, because there are hundreds, aren't there? Thousands of techniques and treatments out there that make you feel better in the short term. Yeah, mm -hmm. and yeah, short term know. fix, but we, we yeah, short term yeah. fix, you know, all very nice. And I'm not knocking it, but it's you know, we've got to understand it and really make those changes with, with, with within us. And it's that whole mind body connection, absolutely. Been fascinating, Sarah. How, how remind us how people get hold of you? What's your website? Yes, it's the moot the movement works.co.uk, and I've got a contact page on there. So um, people can contact me that way. Marvellous. Thank you very much for your time today, Dr. Sarah Mottram. Thank you, Elaine. Thank you.